I really enjoyed that song. Didn't need any microphone, brother. Derek, that was really easy to hear. What I liked about hearing it was that it's one of those times when you preachers that are here know this, that a lot of times you hear a song and it confirms what you're going to preach. Amen? That's not anything to take lightly because there's about 500 hymns and lots of thousands of songs. And so it's really a, a work of God when you get confirmation from a song that goes right along with the message. So I want to preach from uh, the Gospel of Mark this, this evening in Mark chapter 9. If you turn to Mark chapter 9, we're familiar with that passage of Scripture. This is a, this is a passage of Scripture that's found in all three synoptic Gospels giving the account of the transfiguration. It's a glorious thing to read. Verses 1 through 13 talks about Jesus going up into the mountain with Peter, James, and John being transfigured there. And it was tremendous. But we're taking our text tonight from beginning in verse 14. Verse 14. They're having a glory hallelujah experience on the mountaintop. Great, great manifestations of divine power and presence on the mountaintop. But down in the valley, it's a different story. We're not on the mountaintop right now, so to speak. We're, we're, not, we're not up in the divine presence like they were here. We're still, at the, we're still in the foothills. But one of these days, that'll all change. And I want us to just look at what was going on down below while Jesus is being transfigured and Peter's saying what he had to say and God Almighty is speaking audibly out of heaven, and all of those things are happening. Uh, down below in verse 14, we'll begin reading there. And if you can, stand with me, and we'll start in verse 14. Look at what's going on with the disciples who've been left behind and the vast multitude that are down at the foot of the mountain. Before we read, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we come to you tonight, and Lord, we're thankful to be able to be in your house again today. Lord, I thank you for these brothers and sisters. I thank you for the privilege it is to be among them, to meet uh, uh, so many of them for the first time, to make the acquaintance of the dear pastor and his wife, and Lord, to sense the liberty to preach again tonight as I did this morning. And I thank you for a church like this, and pray that you will bless us together as we look into your word and wait upon your spirit to move us and to teach us, to stir us, in Jesus' name we pray, amen. In verse 14, the Bible says, Jesus is coming down off of the mountain now, and when he gets down below, the Bible says, when he came to his disciples, he saw a great multitude about them, and the scribes questioning with them. And straightway all the people, when they beheld him, were greatly amazed, and running to him, saluted him. And he asked the scribes, What question ye with them? And one of the multitude answered, and said, Master, I brought unto thee my son, which hath the dumb spirit. And wheresoever he taketh him, he teareth him, and he foameth, and gnasheth with his teeth, and pineth away. And I spake to thy disciples that they should not cast, that they should cast him out, and they could not. He answered him, answereth him, and saith, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? 
How long shall I suffer you? Bring him unto me. And they brought him unto him. And when he saw him, straightway the spirit tear him. And he fell on the ground and wallowed foaming. And he asked his father, How long is it ago since this came unto him? And he said, Of a child. And oft times it hath cast him into the fire and into the waters to destroy him. But if thou canst do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Jesus said unto him, If thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. And straightway the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, help thou mine unbelief. Have you ever felt that way? When Jesus saw that the people came running together, he rebuked the foul spirit, saying unto him, Thou dumb and deaf spirit, I charge thee, come out of him and enter no more into him. And the spirit cried and rent him sore and came out of him. And he was as one dead, insomuch that many said he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up and he arose. And when he was come into the house... His disciples asked him privately, Why could not we cast him out? And he said unto them, This kind can come forth by nothing but by prayer and fasting. Please be seated. Now again, I want us to keep in mind the great contrast here between what is going on in the first 13 verses and what happens beginning in verse 14. Jesus is on the mountaintop with his disciples, the three of them, and great and wondrous things are happen, happening. But then he, the time comes you have to come down off the mountain. And he comes down into the valley below, and the atmosphere, the climate, is completely different. And I want you to follow along with me in these scriptures and look at them once again quickly and see when he gets down below... What a scene is awaiting him. In verse 14, you, you see what I'm calling tonight the sneers and the scorn of the scribes. His enemies, his detractors, they followed him everywhere, trying to, trying to put a question in the people's minds about him, trying to discourage people. We have people like that today. The mockers, the sneerers, the scorners, and they're having a big time down there at the foot of the mountain when Jesus comes on the, on the scene. His, his disciples are there, and the Bible says the scribes were questioning with them. That word questioning is translated, the very same word, wrangling, elsewhere. They're, they're just trying to pick a fight, is what they're doing. They're, they're down there fussing with the disciples. You, you see them down there. Sni- you know, I've, I've always wondered. I used to wonder. I don't wonder anymore. You read passages of Scripture like when Jesus and, or Paul in Acts chapter 17 is there ministering in the city of Athens. And he went outside the city. Remember that? And he, he's preaching. The Bible says a great number of them believed. He's preaching on the resurrection of these pagans in their darkness. And as he preached, many believed Paul's message. But the Bible says 
Though there were some men and women from different backgrounds and walks of life that believed that day, some mocked. The mockers have always been with us. And I used to wonder, why would anybody mock somebody like the Apostle Paul, who obviously was a good man, he was holding forth uh, hope to people, and uh, there were obvious, obviously great things being done by way of help to people, and yet some mocked him. And I used to wonder, why do people, why do, why do people mock? Then one day it dawned on me, because that's what mockers do. Liars lie, and mockers mock. And they've been with us a long time. We have to be in the position, like the Bible tells us in Titus 1 and 9, we need to be able by sound doctrine, both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. So we see the sneer and the scorn, they, such, uh, such behavior by these scribes and Pharisees. While they're wrangling with the disciples, the disciples are at a loss for words. Now it comes on, brother. <laughs> and, I, and as I preach along, you might get a, an idea of why that's happening right now. There are certain subjects when you preach on them, every child in the congregation will need to leave. The, the, uh, eight, the ham radio operators will come through the speakers. <laughs> Amen. Well, you'll see why maybe that's happening. But the disciples are as quiet as they can be. They're not opening their mouths. You, you watch, look at the sneering of the scribes, and, the, and then you notice the silence of the disciples. They're so quiet. Even Peter. They're all quiet. Why? Why? I mean, I mean he... I said Peter, he wasn't, wasn't, hadn't been there, but he's there now. But the disciples, they find they don't have anything to say. And here's why. Because they were so humiliated by the failure that they had just uh, experienced their powerlessness while Jesus was gone. They, they were embarrassed and they were sad and they have nothing to say while these scribes and Pharisees are, are wrangling and questioning and, and mocking and jeering. But there, there's a great multitude there as well at the foot of the mountain. And when we look at them, uh, you sense suspense on the part of the multitude. Sneering scribes and Pharisees, silent disciples, and a suspenseful multitude. Verse 14 says, he saw a great multitude about them. Now, the word suspense in the dictionary means to have a mental uncertainty. Uh, it's synonymous with anxiety and uh a state of being undecided or doubtful, in, indecisiveness. In other words, this great multitude has just witnessed something that's left them stymied. They don't know what is going to happen. And especially now that Jesus has entered in on this scene. They're in suspense. What next? 
they've already, already witnessed the powerlessness of these disciples, and the great multitude is in suspense. Here, here are the Lord's own disciples, and absolutely powerless. What a sad situation. We'll look at it a little more closely. It's a sad situation. And the Lord's disciples have been able, well, they haven't been able to deliver at all. And now Jesus has come, their master has come on the scene, and they're still in a state of suspense. What, what is it going to be? Is it just going to be a, a repeat of the same failure and nothing done for this tragic case that has been put before them. They couldn't do anything about it. Now, that is the state of this world tonight. It's always been this way to a degree, but brothers and sisters, we're living in a time in in world history when spiritually speaking, the, the world has never been in a greater state of what now than it is today. See, there's a big portion of this world that that believes in God. But 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 can God do anything with the situation with what's going on today? In other words, if there's one question that the world has today, I think it would be this: Where's the power? Where is the power? Amen? We know where the singing is. We know where the preaching is. But where is the power? That's what we need tonight, is power. Uh, the disciples were there, and, and, all, and all of that, the problem was there. So you see the, the suspense of the multitude. Sneering Pharisees and silent disciples, a suspenseful multitude. And then when you... Look at verse 17, you see the sadness of a father. In verse 17, the Bible says, One of the multitude answered. Now Jesus had asked, What question ye with them? But in verse 17, a man in that crowd interjects, and he has something to say. One of the multitude answered and said, Master, I brought unto thee my son. Now, remember what he said there. I brought unto thee my son. Jesus is up on the mountain when he brought him, but he says, well, I brought unto thee my son. In the Gospel of Luke, Luke adds this detail. He's, he tells us there that he said, I brought mine only child. This was my only child, and I brought him unto thee. Matthew 15 and 25, here's a similar case. There's, it's a woman in this case that she comes to Jesus and, and she comes on behalf of her child. Listen to what she says. Lord, help me. She didn't have anything wrong with her. It was her child that had the problem. But she said, Lord, help me. And you see the same kind of language this father wasn't possessed by a devil. He, didn't have, he wasn't full of an evil spirit being tormented. 
But this father, it's happening to his son, and he takes it as if it's really happening to him too. That's the way a father is. That's the way a mother is. He said, I have compassion, in verse 22, on us. Now, I want us to go back to that verse 17 where he says, I brought unto thee. Boy, that's convicting. Jesus is up on the mountaintop and down below. This father brings his son to the disciples. And you know what? In his mind and in his heart, he was, it was as good as bringing him to Jesus. And I'm here to say tonight, that's the way that it ought to be when people come into the church of God. Amen. They ought to meet the presence of Jesus here. We're ambassadors for Christ. He lives within us. And when people come with their hurts and their cares and their burdens and their lostness, In amongst the people of God, it ought to be the same as coming to God himself. For we're his ambassadors and his his agents in this world. This father just assumed that uh, Jesus would be there with and in his disciples with all of his power. See, in John 15 and 5, Jesus had said, without me, you can do nothing. So here's these sneering disciples at the foot of the mountain. The silenced, humiliated uh, disciples are there, these sneering scribes. The suspenseful multitude, the sad father. And here's what's at the root of it all, a strong spirit in verse 17. In the latter part of verse, verse 17... I brought unto thee my son, which hath a dumb spirit. And wheresoever he taketh him, he teareth him. And he foameth and gnasheth with his teeth and pineth away. I'll tell you what, that's um, that's a sad situation right there. He says, and I, I brought him to your disciples that they should cast him out and they... How embarrassing. Could not. I brought my son in this terrible condition. It's a spiritual problem. To your disciples to cast him out. And they could not. They could not. They could not. They could not. What what an embarrassing situation that is. They could not. Now... And the reason for it, for the problem that he has is this strong spirit. He's not just a strong spirit, he's a very strong spirit. In Matthew 17 and 16, Matthew tells about it, and he has this father, he adds this. He said, I brought him to thy disciples, and they could not cure him. In Mark's account, he says, I brought him and they could not. Matthew says, I remember that so well. We, they could not. And when Luke tells about it, in Luke chapter, uh, chapter 9 and verse 39 and, 
and 40, he says, He hardly departeth from him, and I besought thy disciples to cast him out. Here it is again. And they could not. The church has been in the could not position way too long. Amen. I can't help it. I, I, I long for a real revival. Amen. When, when you see God moving in great, powerful, unexpected ways. Amen. I, I don't know. I think it was in a Sunday school class. It was mentioned. I just want to say this real quick. The churches and Christians have got to get out of this mentality. God, we're going to tell you, this is our schedule. Now, if you can get in on this within two or three days, we're going to have a weekend revival. It's weak, all right. It's weak on both ends. We're going to have three days. Do you see the calendar? Do you see our church calendar, Lord? Three days. And you either get it done in those three days, because that's all the time we're, get, we're, we're allowing as a church. We're going to have our little cottage prayer meeting, and we're going to advertise, but still, three days. Do, do you understand three? What Brother Curtis mentioned, the word protracted meeting. I think you said that. You didn't use the word, that's what you were talking about. Some of us are old enough to know there was a time when they had revivals and they preached until the church began to be revived and then lost people started coming. God was in that. We, we, in our modern rush, rush, highly tech, tech day, we got to slow down and wait on God. I wish I had time to tell you more about this story, but my wife comes from six generations of Baptist preachers, pastors. And I remember one time, this was one of many, many stories like that. Her grandfather, on both sides that is, and her, her grandfather on her mother's side got saved and then got called to preach way back in the Depression days. And they went out and they built a brush arbor. Him and one of his son-in-laws, it was close to his age, Brother Healy, and they they were out there and built this brush arbor, and both of them had just been called to preach. Neither one of them had preached a sermon yet. <laughs> they built this brush arbor. They had good names and reputations in the community and announced they were going to have preaching. And somebody, I'll probably use up all my time with this story. But they, they, they started coming out for the meeting. And it dawned on them as they, as they were both finishing the p- finishing touches and getting some kind of seats into the, uh, under the, the brush arbor that neither one of them had a sermon. <laughs> and they already had it arranged that one would preach one night and one would preach the next night and so on. It dawned on them that they didn't have a sermon. Well, my wife's grandfather was going to preach the first night and he thought, well, I'll just tell them how God saved me. And that's what he did. And, and a couple of people got saved that night. And the next night, it was Brother Dar's turn, and he still didn't know how to get up a sermon. And so he said, well, this worked good for Brother Britton. I'll, I'll just tell them how the Lord saved me. And several people were saved. Now, they built that brush arbor in the heat. I think it was July. They were hot and sweaty, and people were coming in and, and uh, you know when they closed it out? 
They closed it out when the snow was so heavy on the brush arbor that it was caving in. And I saw a picture afterwards of 30-some, nearly 40 people that was baptized at a place called Shoal Creek down in Washington County as a result of that meeting. They didn't set any time limit on God. Well, we live in such a busy age. We live in a busy time. People are busy. People are too busy. Amen. Uh, We have a strong spirit to deal with. They're all right here at the foot of the mountain. Sneering Pharisees, silent disciples, a a sad, suspenseful multitude, a sad father, the strong spirits there. And then there's the suffering son. Now notice what the father said about him. He's told us something about his sufferings already, but look at this again. He says, he pineth away. That's old-timey language. You talk about somebody who's pining away, that means they're dying slowly. They're obviously dying. Their ailment is killing them. He pineth away. He said the spirit tear him and he fell on the ground and he wallows foaming. I want to say this tonight. Many are pining away tonight. There's a lot of pining away going on tonight. And it's entered into the house of God. Uh, marriages are pining away. They're dying. Uh, homes and families and parent-child relationships are pining away. I've been watching this going on for a long time. Uh, people are pining away on drugs and alcohol. I never thought in my wildest nightmare I could never have imagined that the area where I was brought up when I grew up living with my grandparents on a farm over in Iberia, Missouri. In Iberia, Missouri, I mean the, 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 the roughest, most rambunctious thing we had going with kids when I was growing up was corncob fights and toe sack races. That was about as exciting as it got. Now they're all, it seems like almost all of the kids are a bunch of dope heads over there. They're making this meth all over the, polluting the countryside with their meth-making garbage. And people are pining away because of alcohol and all kinds of drugs tonight, all of these things, and immorality. People are pining away all across the nation because of pornography, and it is amazing how much of that stuff has gotten in to the church. It, it rots the mind. And people, believe me, they pine away from it. Churches are pining away. I read not long ago now, when they say churches in a periodical like this, it could be anything, but they said 3,000 churches are closing every, every year in America. 3,000 of them closed their doors. It might have been more frequent than that. Christian workers are pining away. Amen, beloved. Christian workers are pining. We live in a day, they call it the entitlement generation. I'll tell you, at our place, I've always been this way. 
uh, I'm telling young people, get off of your duffs and go to work. You don't sit around watching this generation before you doing all the church house cleaning and the food cooking and the cleanup afterward. You know, you don't sit around wait, waiting to be served. You become servants. Amen. But we got a lot of people today who don't know anything about staying with the stuff. Well, I'm thankful for all that do, but there sure needs to be their numbers sure need to to increase. Pining away. Christian workers are pining away. Amen. There's a reason for it all. In verse 22, he said, and oftentimes, he's telling Jesus about the situation with his son and this this devil, and he said, and oftentimes, it has cast him into the fire and into the waters to destroy him. Now, that's what's going on with all of these drugs and this, this music, this whole culture. We, we live in a death culture when people celebrate death and they fight for death. It's either euthanasia or abortion, but people have gone crazy and they're absolutely possessed with a, 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 a death mentality. So you, you see these sneering uh, Pharisees and the and the silenced disciples, and the sad father, and the strong spirit, and the suffering son. But then in verse 20 and 26, things are looking up now. The Bible says, and they brought him unto him. You see the salvation of the Lord from verse 20 through 26. And I want you to notice a couple of things here. Number one under the salvation of the Lord, in this context, verse 20 says, and when, and when he saw, they brought, unto him, brought him unto him, and when he saw him, look what the Spirit did, this, this evil, dirty Spirit. When he saw him, straightway the Spirit tear him, and he fell on the ground and wallowed, Foaming. You know what you see there? The fear of the Lord. Amen. That's why we need the power of the Holy Ghost in our services. The devil's not afraid of us. But he is afraid of the Holy Spirit when he's at work in, in us. Amen. He's, he's afraid. He cringes at spirit-filled music and praise. The Bible says God inhabits the praises of his people. And, and today, it's hard to get much more than a chipmunkian squeak out of people in a testimony service. But God inhabits the praises of His people. When our praises go up to God, the power of God inhabits them and comes down on His people. Having a testimony type service sometimes, like trying to hook a winch off the end of a... Cherokee Jeep onto a stump and trying to pull it up. Amen. You, you say everything you can to get people to give a testimony, get up and tell you about their neighbor's second cousin's mother-in-law's sore tooth. <laughs> now you see the fear of the Lord. And then in verse 22 through 24, you see faith in the Lord. Now, I'll say this, it's shaken faith. It's a shaken faith. And 
Look, look what this father says in verse 22. You know, I think a lot of people's faith in our churches has been shaken because of some of the nonsense that's allowed to go in on under the na- name of Jesus Christ. Look what he says. Have you ever had this thought in some form or another cross your mind? He said, if thou canst do anything, You know, we need God to just break loose in our services. We can preach as loud and as hard as we want to. We can, we can have the best of music, the best program. But unless the Spirit of God is in it, it amounts to a big, fat goose egg. Amen. He said uh, his faith is shaken now. He said, if thou can do anything, you know what shook him? The shortcomings of, it's all right here. His faith was shaken because of the shortcomings of the disciples. The shortcomings of the disciples. Uh, And he was shaken by the severity of the case. I mean, this is a sad, tragic case. His own son, obvious things are happening. He can tell... The devil is working him over. The devil is in control of his life. This is a serious situation and it shakes the faith of this father. But Jesus is going to strengthen his faith in verse 23. Now notice what this father said. He said, if thou canst do anything. Did you ever feel like that in a church service? Lord, can you do anything? If Thou canst do anything to be reduced to that place as God's children today. If thou canst do anything. Well, here's the the thing. All things are possible with God. God can can do anything. And Jesus said to him in verse 23, he turned it right around on him. He said, if thou canst believe. All things are possible to him that believeth. So you see the faith here in the Lord. It was a shaken faith, if thou canst do anything. And uh, his faith was shaken because of the shortcomings of the disciples. Uh, This is such an important passage of Scripture. These disciples had cast out demons before, but not this time. In times past, they'd done it, but they couldn't do anything in this situation. Uh, But they're going to have their faith strengthened. Jesus said, verse 23, If thou canst believe, all things are possible. To him that believeth. Now look what happens in verse 25 and 26. When Jesus saw that the people came running, he rebuked the foul spirit, saying unto him, Thou dumb and deaf spirit, I charge thee, come out of him, and enter no more into him. And the spirit cried and rent him sore, and came out of him. And he was as one dead, insomuch that many said, He is dead. Now, it really gets interesting when you get to verse 28 and 29 because the disciples have been taking all this in. 
And in verse 28 and 29, you see three things that are really important. These are, these are three really important things for us today to learn from this. Number one is the recognition of the disciples. When they saw what Jesus had done here, they recognized their own failure. They recognize it. They're, they're going to they're admit it in verse 28. This is what we need to have some admitting services today. We need to have some preachers and pastors and churches that will just get up and testify as to our failure. We've depended too much in our music. We've depended too much in our preacher and in the preaching and all of this. So listen, we've got more stuff today. We've got computers. We've got fancy instruments. We've got the nicest buildings anybody could could possibly want and music and singers and, and you name it. The only thing that's missing is the power of God. So they, these disciples, to their credit, they're recognizing their failure. In verse 28, when he was come unto the house, the disciples asked him privately, why could not we cast him out? You know what what people are trying to do a lot today? What churches are trying to do a lot today, brothers? They're trying to cover up for all of this with more high-tone music. A bigger crowd. If we can just get a bigger crowd in here, that'll camouflage our powerlessness. There's all kinds of ways to get a crowd. And 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 those, those cheap antics just to get a crowd... It's not, it's not about winning souls. A lot of it's not about winning souls. It's about getting a crowd. Get that big crowd. Get some cheap jack professions of faith. Brethren, that is not New Testament religion. Jesus said, without me ye can do nothing. You know that story back there in the Old Testament about the guy that lost his axe head? It's the axe head of God's power. You know what people do today? They want to whack away with an axe handle and hope nobody will notice. We just make a bunch of, no- a bunch of noise. Maybe people won't notice that we don't have the axe head of God's power. If we just have a bunch of activity, work up a sweat, maybe nobody will notice that we don't have any power. We're not cutting anything. We're not really getting anywhere. Now, here's the recognition of their failure in verse 29, and that is good. We need to have some repentance services in all kinds of places, churches large and small, starting at the pulpit and going through the pews, trying to get God's work done with human methods. We need to get back to prayer. Stop thinking if we sing a little louder, get a bigger crowd, have a more spizzerumptum, so to speak. You know, nobody will notice. Uh, it's all wailing away with a, an a, a empty axe handle. Making a bunch of noise and racket. Nothing's, nothing's getting done. Look, look at verse 28. They've confessed this. And they, they said, why could not we cast him out? Well, you don't want to really ask the Lord a question that plain if you don't want an answer. He said unto them, this kind 
can come forth by nothing but by prayer and fasting. Now, he, he gives them the reason for their failure, and at the same time, he gives them the remedy. Amen. This kind can come forth but by prayer and fasting. We don't need more noise. We need more prayer and fasting. And let, let's not forget this. He said this kind. Now, we're living in the this kind days. In the last days, the devil is going to come down having great wrath, knowing that he hath but a short... We're living in those days. And the love of many is going to wax cold, and we're seeing that all across the board. Christians who used to have some fire for the things of God have waxed cold. Some of them who had never have thought about such a thing a few years ago, now they can miss Sunday night, Wednesday night, and not think a thing of it. We need revival. Real revival. A weekend revival is too weak on both ends. Amen. They, they, uh, let me just mention three things. That was the introduction. <laughs> this is going to be a real short sermon here. It'll be a short sermon. In verse 28, here's the good thing. There's a recognition of their failure. Sometimes these disciples could say some pretty dumb things, but, but not now. In verse, in verse 28, and when he was come into the house, his disciples asked him, this is so good, they asked, why couldn't we cast him out? Now, here's the, bless their hearts, here's the good thing about these disciples. They cared. They were not satisfied with what had happened. They're hurt by it. We can't stand this. It's not always been this way with us, Lord. We know what it is to have prayer answered and, and see the, the devil rebuked and have power and victory. And this is a really this is a question the church needs to ask itself today. Why, why could not we cast them out? Now here's, here's something about they were truthful about it. You know, you know what I think is going on today? I think churches, they want to cover it up and sing louder and have more programs and put on a big show and get real busy and all kinds of things that really don't count. And it's all a smoke screen. Amen. We need the power of God. You were exactly right, Brother Pastor. It doesn't matter whether it's Two or three or two or three hundred or two or three thousand. God is God and he can do great things with that little old tiny handful. God is not impressed by numbers. The world can outnumber us anytime. Amen. One thing about it, they recognized their failure and they were truthful about it. They weren't like the church that you read about in Revelation 3 and 17, that depicts the church of our day. This is the church in Laodicea that said, I'm rich. That's the way the churches feel today. Oh, look at these great buildings we've got. We don't need brush harbors anymore. We got these big facilities. 
See how nice they are. This church said, I'm rich and increased with goods and I have need of nothing. We'll just get ourselves some fancy, fancy would-be comedian or entertainer that couldn't make the grade there, so he became a preacher. Amen. They said, we have need of nothing. And God said, Now knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Ah, they don't want to hear that today. They were truthful about it, and they were troubled about it. We need God to come down and trouble our waters. Amen. Amen. I, I, I saw the title of a book. I, have, I never have even read the book, but I would never forget the title. It says, God Helps the Man Who Cares. That's, all, that's really the best starting place, is to have a man or a woman who really cares about the glory of God. And these men here, to their credit, they were troubled. They weren't just truthful, but they were troubled. They asked him in verse 28 privately, and they said, why? That would be a good thing to have today. Just to get really down and honest and say, why? Why no revival? Why do we have the worldliest Baptist today that's probably ever walked on the face on American soil? I'm telling you, they're worldly. Why? I don't want to get too started on this. I got to make sure it's of the Spirit. But Baptists today are as worldly as they can be in so many places. And proud of it. And they'll defend it. Amen. Now you got men prissing around and acting like women and women that look like they wish they were men. God hates that. I am telling you what God has created, we're to celebrate it. God made me a man and I'm thankful for that. And God made my wife a woman and she is thankful for being a woman. She doesn't want to give anybody the impression she wishes she were a man. Sickening. Absolutely sickening. I'm telling you, we live in a day, brother, when people are doing things they would have been embarrassed and ashamed about of years ago. Now they defend it. Here's how crazy it is. They think they're the spiritual ones. Every, all, all the rest are just a bunch of dumb clucks stuck in the mire and the mud and don't understand we're living in another age. You've got to get with the program. All this business about separated living, that's a bunch of foolishness. That's for a bunch of knuckleheads that don't know anything better to preach. They're uneducated and illiterate. That's the only reason they believe in separated living. Baloney. It's all in God's Word. Every bit of it. And until, I'm telling you, people can build the fanciest church buildings they want to. They can get all the degrees behind their name that they want to to try to give themselves credibility and so on and so forth. But there's never been a man or a woman or a church anywhere, regardless of size, that's smarter than God. And God is still 
interested in holiness. Amen. I'm telling you, there's so much time and effort and money wasted and people acting like they want revival. You, you can't cross-dress and expect God to bless that. Am I telling you the truth? You can't treat the house of God like it's a Greyhound bus station. Come in and wallow around in your play clothes. Amen. Amen. Tell you what, I think people come to church, they ought to come to church and looking like they're coming to church. I'm not saying you ought to wear a suit, but you wear the best you can. You don't dress up in your chop. Here are 50, 60 year old men and women coming in their play togs to the house of God. Amen. That's what they're doing. Acting like a bunch of little kids going to watch a, a ball game. What do people think was going on? What was the message God was conveying when he told Moses, you're on holy ground, Take the, get your shoes off your feet and straighten up. Say, oh, that doesn't matter. See, these people today are so smart. These, the, this new crowd today, preachers and all, they are so smart. They turned the pulpit into a stand-up comic show. You know what I like about preaching? I like to have the Word of God in it. I like, to hear, I like to hear some of the Word of God when I listen to preaching. A little bit more than just announcing the text. I'm going to be preaching from this, and they never told anything true because they're going to preach 100 miles from the text. They never get back to it. They, they tell all their fairy tales and graveyard stories and jokes and all of that, and it's sickening. It's a shame. Now, these disciples were truthful, and they were also troubled. They said, why? And, and notice this. They, they asked him, the Gospels tells us, they came and they asked him privately in verse 28. They were so ashamed and embarrassed. They recognized their failure. That's what we need today. We need God to convict people in his churches of their failure. And, and a whole lot of that failure is is spelled worldliness. Amen. Worldliness. You know what God had on his mind when he created man in the beginning of the world? That we would be holy and without blame before him in love. It doesn't matter what 21st century Christianity thinks about it and 21st century Baptist. Well, that's, that's the way grandma and grandpa and these old timers believe. But, you know, we're, we're living on the cutting edge today. And, and we don't, we, you know, we got we to gotta get with this, uh, the new age and so on and so forth. No! Holiness is holiness. And if anybody doesn't understand what holiness means, they need to read their Bible a little bit. Amen. It's inward and it's outward. A lot of, a lot of, we're in the trouble that we're in right now, Brother Curtis, because for about 20 or 30 years, Baptist wanted it all on the outside. If you just cut your hair right and you just wear the right clothes and women's hem lines are where they ought to be and their necklines are where they ought to be, then we're spiritual. But they didn't, inside was like dead men's bones. 
Amen. That's why that same crowd there is as worldly as they can be today. But when God really does a work inside a man or a woman, it will show up on the outside. It's like getting a case of measles. You got the measles before it ever begins to show up. Amen. When I got saved, it started making some change. Forgive me for giving you a personal illustration. It would have been hard to find anybody more worldly than I was before I got saved. When I got saved, I started thinking about things in a different way. I had no reason to think about them except the Holy Ghost. Read Titus chapter 2, verse 11 through 15. The Spirit teaches us. Amen. That denying worldly lust. Before anybody ever pointed out chapters and verse on a lot of things, I knew I couldn't do those things anymore. I couldn't talk that way anymore. There was something within me. Amen. The Holy Spirit was teaching. You don't get saved Sunday morning and stay home on Sunday night and watch television. I tried it after I got saved. I tried it. It wasn't Sunday night, but I tried it about two weeks after I got saved. It was Wednesday night. I'd gotten home from work. I was single and everything. My staying with my aunt and uncle, and they had a pool table in the basement. Wasn't anything wrong with the pool table. I got one in my basement now. <laughs> but the point's not that pool table. The point is that I was down there, and it, this is as crazy as anything could be. I had plenty of time to get to church. But there was something that it was just like I couldn't get away from that pool table. And I was down there, and I knew church was going to be starting, and I was feeling real bad about it. That was the devil at work. Finally, I shook that off, and I got myself to church and got there late. But it was the devil wanting me to stay down there and suck on an adult beverage, so to speak, and shoot pool with myself. When you get saved, there is something within you that inclines you to the house of God. We're calling a lot of things salvation that aren't salvation i'm telling you a lot of this mess today 50 years ago if people had saw what goes on behind pulpits and from outside of pulpits and in the house of god and the leadership and how they act and live and excuse it and brag on their filthiness nobody would have accepted that for born again salvation the grace of God, Titus 2, that bringeth salvation, teaches us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust. It's like that old song says. The guy says in the song, I got saved. I, 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 and, and thank God Almighty, there's something within. Amen. He said something within has got a hold on the reins. Something within is changing things. Now, I'm telling you what, there's nothing unique about me. That kind, that's salvation, and it works that way with everybody. You don't get saved on Sunday morning and just lay home and watch TV the rest of the week. Show up. Amen. Now, these, I was talking about that one time a woman came back, and she shook hands, and she said, I have found him. I have found him. Oh, what in the world? She said, 
I have found my John the Baptist, she said. Look me right in the eyes. I have found my John the Baptist. I could listen. I could have sat here and listened all day. She didn't even come back to church at night. In fact, she never came back to church. I took somebody with me and went to visit their house, and I saw her through the screen run and hide. <laughs> Amen. Not fooling me. I might have been born at night, but it wasn't last night. Yeah. They recognized their failure. They were truthful about it and troubled about it. And uh, you see the reason for their failure. And I'm going to preach real fast so you have to listen real fast. But we don't have anything else. There's nothing good on television tonight, amen. (laughs) The reason for their failure. Now, here's one of the reasons for their failure, and this applies to, to, to God's people today and churches. One is that they were lacking in perception and diagnosis. People say, people walking around all the time now, why no revival? Why aren't we having revival? Why aren't we having revival? <laughs> Look in the mirror. Why no revival when you're doing things that God is very clear about? I, I hear people say, I just wish I could feel as happy in the Lord as I did when I first got saved. 50 years ago, if I could just be as happy in the Lord as 50 years ago. I'm happier. I was happy the night I got saved, but brother. I went home from church that night, and I didn't go to my own home. I was going to that church. I started going to church because I wanted to make a good impression on a girl. I found out that her dad was a preacher, and all of a sudden I took an intense interest in religion and spiritual things. Intensely. So much so that I ask her, when, where, where's your church and when do you have church? And I want to come. And she, she just kind of brushed it off. And I thought she just begged me to come to church. She didn't. She's pretty smart. And so I just invited myself to church. And I, and I showed up and for about three months... While that preacher preached and preached his heart out, and a good man uh, preached good enough, there had been a thousand people there. There was enough gospel to save every one of them. But I wasn't thinking about anything but that girl. That's all I was thinking about. By and by, though, the Word of God started getting through. I got, I'd get up in the mornings, and I'd be so convicted about my sin, and nobody had to tell me I was going to hell. I knew I was going. The question was, When? I'll make that story real short. One morning, a big old tall, red-headed, freckle-faced preacher came and he preached on the great white throne judgment. I'd never heard anything like it. He described it. Boy, he was, he was ringing my bell. I'm sitting there listening. Now I'm listening. And he, I'll never forget it. He said, describing that great white throne, he said, there will be people at the great white throne who will be standing there wishing they'd been born a dog or a cat. The week before, I'd been in that girl's house, and I was sitting in the living room. Her parents were back off in the back room, and there was a cat sitting, and, and if you knew how I felt about cats, <laughs> there was a cat sitting in the doorway, 
And I remember looking over at that cat and thinking, why couldn't I have been born a cat? When I was driving to work, um, Brother Eccles, in the morning I'd drive to work and I would think about all the way to work. What if I was to get hit by a car and killed? I know where I'd be. It, it sounds funny to some people now, but I would look out in the field and see some cows or horses and I'd think to myself, how lucky can you get if I'd only been born an animal? I wouldn't have this to worry about. That preacher preached on the great white throne that night. The pastor preached, and I was under conviction. I, I'm the poster boy for grabbing the back of the pew. Somebody came over and said, don't you want it? Don't you want to go forward? And it made me so mad. I mean, if I could have, I would have, I would have probably punched him if there hadn't been people around. I was so miserable. He said, don't you want to go forward and be saved? Here's what I said to him. I'll never forget it. I said, God isn't going to save me. So it's the way I said it. Any more than he's going to save those people that are up there right now. Just hateful. And sure enough, after church was over, I said, uh, I, did, I didn't go forward. But the pastor wanted to talk to me. It was a little old storefront church in St. Louis. And they had a blackboard. Back then they would teach the Sunday school lesson. They had a blackboard on the wall. And it was just covered with chalk. They'd written on it and smudged it out and written over the smudge and smudged that and all of that. And uh, the pastor was talking to me and trying to talk to me, and he said, because I, I said, God would never save me. I said, I've, I've committed too many sins. That's where I was. He said, see this blackboard? See this? He said, when God saves you. He says, like, that's all of your sin. But when God saves you, he makes you as white as snow. And he opened his Bible to Isaiah. You know where it's at in Isaiah chapter 1. And he showed that to me and he said, where God says, come, let us reason together. I've never been quite as smitten as I was by that. Here's, here's what got me. That God was saying, I'm willing to reason with you, you piece of dirt. You sinner, you. And God is saying, come and let us reason together. Though your sin be as scarlet, be as white as snow. Though it be red like scarlet, I'll make it like wool. And I, I still didn't respond. I said, I, I said, well, I just, I'm just not ready. But right there, I believed, I believed that. I thought, there's hope for me. You know what he said? He said, come home with me. Come home for a little bit. And we went home, and it wasn't very much longer till I had my face pushed as hard as I could push it between two cushions on his couch. And, I mean, I, he said, just ask the Lord to say, just pray and ask God to say, you didn't try to lead me in any prayer or anything. I, I pushed my head down there, and the devil said, just almost like it was awful. He said, you don't even know how to pray. And just like a flash, I thought, that's right, I don't know how to pray. 
And then, like another flash, I thought, but I do know how to talk. <laughs> and I did some talking. And I told God I knew I was a sinner. And I was just trusting in Christ. And he saved me. Amen. I'm telling you, when I went down those steps in South St. Louis and stepped out on the sidewalk, the street lights never shined brighter for anybody. They did for me that night. The moon was shining bigger and brighter than it ever has since. Amen. Salvation's real. Amen. I don't even know where I took off from here. But they uh, they recognize their failure, the reason for it. They said we've dealt with. But see, this is all B.C. now. This, I mean, A.D. This is after death. This is this is this is after Christ. This is after conversion. And they said to him, uh, they said, why could we? Why couldn't we? Why couldn't we cast him out? Because they dealt successfully with demons before. Now, brother, I'm going to preach as fast as I can. So listen real fast. They, they had dealt with demons before. You can read it in the New Testament and see where that they had cast demons out before. You know, churches have been, had better, better times than they're having tonight. Amen. But Jesus told them, what you're lacking in is perception and diagnosis. This is a different day. This kind cometh out but by prayer and fasting. It was a different demonic presence. That's what we got today. The Bible tells us to be this way. In the last day, men will be worse and worse. We're living in a time of demonic presence. In verse 17... This man said, I brought unto you my son, which is, hath a dumb spirit. There's all kinds of spirits today. There's dumb spirits. There's unclean spirits. we got them everywhere. And they've really taken over in churches today. Unclean spirits. And lying spirits. And you know where a lot of the lying spirits are working? From the behind pulpits. I'm going to tell you that. It is not preaching when people get up and they ramble on for 45 minutes to an hour telling one joke after another. They work one scripture in it. When are God's people, when is somebody going to stand up and say, this is not, we want preaching. We want the word of God. We don't want your stories. We don't want your stand-up comic acts. Sickening. This is a different demonic presence than ever before that they'd encountered. The Bible says, evil men in the last days will wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. We've got a lot of dumb spirits today at work, giving a lot of Christians a case of lockjaw. They don't speak up for Jesus much. Uh, a lot of dirty spirits. Dirty spirits. I'm sick of these dirty... I heard, it, I heard it not too long ago. A little dirty aside, a little off-color remark from a pulpit. 
what what happened to the day when people would take somebody like that aside and say, listen, we do not appreciate that kind of speaking in here, in a pulpit. I heard, I heard it just the other day. Spirit of worldliness, spirit of rebellion, all kinds of these unclean spirits. So they're lacking. They're lacking in power. But here's the answer in verse 29. Here's the rectification for the failure. Jesus said in verse 29, he said unto them, This kind can come forth but by nothing but by prayer and fasting. There was a seriousness about prayer, evidently, that was lacking in these disciples. It can happen to us. And there was a supplement to prayer that was lacking. A few years ago, I preached in a church, and they asked me to speak. Uh, I think it was a three-day meeting, and they asked me to speak every day on the subject of fasting. And there are preachers in there, oh, this has been more than a few years ago it's been several years ago and at that time there were preachers there that were a lot older than I am now and I I was shocked by it good good men but they came to me one by one probably eight or nine or so throughout that meeting and said we have never fasted in our lives Now, I just want to tell you, Jesus said, now this is in here for a reason, this kind cometh out but by prayer and fasting. There was something very serious that was missing. In Matthew 26 and 41, Jesus said, Watch and pray that you enter not into temptation. Spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. The supplement to prayer was lacking. He says in verse 29, he said, this kind, and we're dealing with a different kind today. This this homosexuality, this transgenderism, all of this filth, filth beyond anything anybody could have imagined 10, 15 years ago. That's the this kind that we're dealing with. He says, this kind cometh forth but by nothing but by prayer. And here's the conjunction, and, and, and fasting. Fasting is a supplement. It's, a, it's I hate to use this word, but it's, it's like a booster. It's the, remember that old super glue and years ago and you got two little tubes and you you had to, one was a catalyst and the other, and you had, but you had to put them together. It wouldn't work without the catalyst. And we're living in the days of when prayer, there are times when our prayers need a catalyst. And the catalyst is fasting. Jesus said this kind, we're living in the this kind days. Amen. It's come upon us. It's like a sewer system that has backed up slowly. So slowly that you get accustomed to the stench. It's like a body that is slowly atrophying and getting weaker and weaker, but so slowly.
don't even realize what's happening to you. We're living in the this kind day when the demonic presence is so bold everywhere. We're living in the this kind day. And this kind cometh forth but by prayer and fasting. It's right, it's right here in the Bible. Amen. I'll tell you, I believe in revival. I, I believe God is going to do some great things in our day. And all of this fluff and this showmanship, and I'm not talking about Presbyterians and Episcopalians and all that now. I'm talking about Baptist people that need a good shaking. There needs to be a lot of people in Baptist churches that are going to approach their pastors and say, looky here, we're not putting up with this vaudevillian nonsense anymore. Amen. I know, I know that's not popular. We need the power of God. People need to get off the golf course. Get on the get on a God course. Amen. We live in a day when preachers get up and brag about how fat they are. Amen. I've heard them make jokes about it. There's not anything to brag about. Not not much fasting. They make they make jokes about serious things. And tell you how far gone we are. And sometimes we we listen to it and we laugh at it. And we ought to be crying over it. We ought to be getting indignant about it. I'm telling you, this cheap comedian stuff from the pulpit just is absolutely out of hand. Now, 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 now I'm getting on the verge of starting to vent, so I'll stop. And, uh, let's all stand together. I'll turn the service over to the pastor.